Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. So welcome back to another episode. We've got a great conversation here for everybody today. I'm so honored to have Ashlyn Boyd with me today, and she's the Regional Sales Manager at Western Canada at MCR Safety. And she's also a workplace safety speaker. She's going to be sharing with us today her own personal experience with a workplace accident that impacted both her and her family. And we really appreciate her having the courage to come on the show and discuss this with us. And joining her today is Darren Sutton, and he is the senior partner at RMS Switzerland, and he's a performance psychologist. And so he's going to share with us his theory of the perfect storm and how it relates to the the workplace incident that Ashleen will be sharing with us. I did want to let people know that we are doing a Safety Connect virtual conference and expo October 2020. And I want everybody to take the time to go and register at industryconnectsafety.com. It's free to attend. So take it and share it out with your network and let everybody know. Okay, we've got our conversation in place. So let's join the conversation. So why don't we kick this off by Ashleen sharing your story with Darren? Yes, absolutely. So uh, Darren, as I mentioned, I'm originally from Toronto and my father had his own landscaping company. He was the owner and founder of it called Shamrock Garden and Landscaping. And in May of 2017, it was May 17 to be exact, we lost my dad to a workplace fatality. And so my dad at that point had just celebrated 39 years of business. And he was a man where, um, you know, like I said, he's an immigrant. So he still did a lot of the labor work, even though he had employees himself. Um, So he always chose to put himself in the position to do some of the heavy duty work. Um, And that was no different than the job site that he was working on at the time. So he was working in the backyard um, in a community downtown Toronto on a very steep embankment. So he had two anchor points was wearing his harness um, and they were doing a bunch of planting. But at one point he had pivot to say something to his employee and he had lost his footing. That resulted in him obviously jerking back and his two anchor points unfortunately failed and he rolled down the hill bank and continued to fall down a seven foot retaining wall and then ended up hitting his head off of the brick wall of the home and landed in the window well. There were quite old homes in that community. Um, so he got himself out, but he immediately collapsed. Um, I was actually in town for a work conference. And so, of course, I immediately got a call from my brother. And uh, by the time we got to the hospital, that my dad was on life support in a coma. And this was a man that was super healthy, happiest man ever, was very, very fortunate to have an incredible father. And I was had a very close bond with him. Um, and so once we reconvened with the doctor, they thought maybe they could proceed with the surgery because... From the fall, he had hit his head off of the brick wall, which resulted in a blockage around his neck. So they thought they could go in, relieve it. But as they tried to even move him into the operation uh, room, his organs started to shut down. Um, So we still continued to keep him on life support for another 12 hours. I know my dad being uh, a stubborn man would have hated that. But of course, you're in a a state of shock. And I really just couldn't, uh, couldn't really comprehend what was going on. Um, but unfortunately, after the 12 hours, they did reconvene us and say that he did pass at some point during the night. Um, and from that, you know, from that experience, as traumatic as it was, and as heartbreaking it was, I was actually already part of the safety industry. And I was getting exposed to other associations that were raising awareness about workplace safety. So after so many months of trying to um, deal with grief in itself, I was trying to understand the safety piece and realizing more and more how many people are going to work and not returning to their family at night. Um, the stat is in Canada, there are three families a day that will receive a phone call saying that their loved one is not returning home. 
And unfortunately, my dad was one of them. And so I'm, uh, I, I am a supporter of a cause called Threads of Life in Canada, but I've also kind of got, got off on my own and created my own brand under CB Safety. My dad's initials was, um, that's his initials. His name is Cahill Boyd. And so that's really where I've been connecting with um, some amazing people in the safety world, Tamara being one of them. And so we connected on this topic and uh, she, she really kind of brought to life in terms of some of the learnings that we can take away from that. My biggest thing, of course, is to try and prevent these future workplace fatalities from happening. And my dad always had the saying, the next generation should do better than the one before. My tagline's been the next uh, generation should be safer than the one before. And, it, and it's a big thing to do. And it's like, how do we do that? Um, and so having these dialogue and these conversations, I hope will elevate that, uh, that conversation. But in sharing that story, I know I think it aligns in terms of your, um, in terms of what you've, you've created in terms of the perfect storm. Um, so that's, that in a nutshell, that, that is my story. One thing that really struck me in the conversation that we were having was when you, we mentioned about the weather. Yeah. So um, as my dad was working on that job site days prior, it had rained a lot um, in in Toronto. And so he was still able to do some of the work. Of course, obviously, when you're raining, you can't really do much landscaping. Um, so he moved forward once the rain had subsided. And so they believed that actually the um, where he had put the anchor points, that it was moist. And that could have been, to some degree, the reasons why his anchor points had failed on him. Of course, we followed normal protocol, had the Ministry of Labor come to site, because um, that's exactly what you need to to um, have involved in doing an investigation. And even though he did go above and beyond his safety measures, um, yeah, we think it might have been nature. And obviously, that's something that's, that's out of your control. Yeah. Uh, so, Ashling, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear of your loss. Uh, I think you're showing tremendous courage in sharing this story with not just us, but the, the wider community. And your your motive to you know, your father saying there of each generation should get better than the next uh, and, and, and better again still. You know, that again, I really admire what you're trying to do here. So... From what I've heard from what you said, though, um, I'm a performance psychologist, actually, and uh, my metaphor that I use, my model that I use um, in behavioral safety and safety leadership is based on the principle of ABC analysis. And the perfect storm that Tamara has uh, mentioned to you, and Tamara and I, I worked probably two years ago now doing a podcast, it's based on the principle of when, of when people, people fail. It's when people do something that they shouldn't really do. And of course, as humans, we, we all fail. You know, I failed this evening for some reason. Or perhaps I didn't. Perhaps the system failed me. But it was probably more, more my failure. And humans, humans fail in many different ways. But everything you said, let's just clarify so far, everything you said to me so far, I can't see anything that your father, uh, it doesn't sound like he's failed at all. It sounds to me like he did everything that he could foreseeably do uh, to predict the risk, to prevent the tragic incident that you've described to us. Is that the case, Ashley? He did everything he could in the, that was foreseeable to him. It was, it was, there were no failures here on his part. No, from our learnings, and I'll be honest, I never went to site. My brother actually took over his business for a short period of time. So he, of course, was assisting uh, the investigator at the time. And from him looking at the backyard, he said, if anything, the owners probably should have put some guardrails in place. Um, but in terms of the measures my dad put in, they said, yes, he, he followed suit in terms of what had to be done. Um, so, of course, maybe a guardrail could have obviously prevented him from further falling down a seven-foot retaining wall. Um, but we kind of looked at that two folds was, yeah, was it, my brother said freak accident. I'm like, do we really use that terminology in the safety space? Um, but I also think it was a little bit more risky knowing, yes, he was an hour away from finishing the job, which was even harder to, to make sense of. Um, but he also, he put himself in that harness. He didn't put his other employees in that harness. And so I, I think for certain he, I know my dad was very, very strict when it came to safety. I would walk on job sites and see, 
see his temper elevate because I knew the liability, of course, as an owner. Um, so we really, we didn't go into further investigation. We're not a family to go and like sue the, the family. Like that was not how my dad would want us to go about it. And at the end of the day, that does not bring him back. Um, and so we just kind of followed suit in terms of what they said. And they said he, he followed the best he could. And unfortunately, I think it was the weather that may have played a role in it. Okay. So thanks for, thanks for explaining further there. Uh, because what usually happens in the vast majority of cases, research suggests, and what I believe, is that when accidents like this happen, they are usually preventable. And in almost all cases, it does result, uh, it's as a result of some kind of human error, human failure, whatever that might be. Now, um, the scenario you describe is still very real. Uh, I've got a picture in my head, as I'm sure you have, uh, and you know, we could use the ABC model to try and identify what might have happened, and it, it, it would be particularly interesting to do that because your dad was the, unis, the owner of the, the, the business, uh, he was the leader of men and women, uh, and he took it on upon himself to perhaps take that risk himself to get the job finished for the client or the customer, um, just for that last hour or so, that's the picture of the scenario I've got in my head. So our question needs to be, what, why is it that people put themselves in, in, in risk situations like that? Uh, so I can ha happily describe the ABC and the perfect storm model. And then for you to draw your own conclusions to help others, perhaps look at things through a different lens uh, when they come to these situations in the future. Tomorrow, is that what you envision to happen here? Okay, you're nodding your head. Yes, um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I just don't want to interrupt the flow. Okay, yeah. So, Ashleen, um, so if we're assuming that this is a behavioral issue, uh, either your father's or the people around him, the clients or the... Uh, the people that might have been responsible for, to put that extra guard in place to, to prevent his tragic fall. When we look at behavior, uh, the, the strange thing is the, the best way to do this is, is to, to not actually look at the behavior itself and to look at the circumstances either side of the behavior. And this is where we, um, it's an interesting model to look at called ABC analysis. Are, are you familiar with ABC analysis, Ashley? No. Okay, I can send you some details through. And at the end of this podcast, I'll send you a link so you can study this a little bit more uh, with some worked examples as well that we've, we've developed. Uh, so first of all, on what, I'm, what I mean about sort of looking at the things that occur either side of the behavior is, first of all, before your dad decided to make that decision to get on that platform to complete this job, there would have been loads of factors in place before he even stepped onto that platform to complete the job. Now, traditionally, well, it might be easier if we moved away from the instance itself and we try to think of a, a behavior that you and I might have done, Ashleen, and, and most humans might have done in their lives, and then we'll come back to the incident itself. So, Ashleen, have you ever taken a risk whilst you're driving, for instance? You have? In, in terms of taking a risk while driving? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever driven without a seatbelt? Have you ever skipped a red light? Have you ever looked at your mobile phone whilst you're driving? Yeah, I, I would say I'm at fault for, for looking at the mobile phones as I try and throw them in the back seat. <laughs> And, and yeah, and this is this is a typical behaviour that um, we all know that it's wrong. We all know that we're putting ourselves at risk, and maybe others as well. But many people, in fact, there are some most people take that kind of risk almost every day of their lives, even though the circumstances could be just as tragic as the scenario that described with us. So the question is, why do we do this? And let's say looking at our cell phone whilst we're driving. Now, you know, Ashleen, just by your body language and where your eyes were going, you know that it's probably breaking the law. You also know you've had some training. You've had uh, 
Um, you've seen the videos. You've you've read read the articles of the people that have you know had bad accidents in this way. These are the things that are in place before you even consider looking at your mobile phone whilst you're driving. There'll be other things, such as what other things are in place to try and prevent you from doing such a thing. What other things are there to, to first of all, hopefully stop you from looking at your mobile phone whilst you're driving? Well, I mean, like I think you taught, you touched on that, like the laws, like, you know, because we obviously know if it's something that we do, then we could be penalized um, financially. And then, of course, it could also affect um, your, your driving condition, obviously your driving record. The weather uh, as well, you, that, that might uh, be in your thoughts of what the weather might be. Yeah, you'll be aware of the bad things that might happen to you, including getting injured uh, mm-hmm. or getting a fine, as you described. But what about the things that are in place to almost actively encourage you to do the wrong thing before you look at your mobile phone? What, what little behavioural triggers are there to almost actively encourage you to look at that message, to look at that text message, or to read that email whilst you're driving. What kind of things are in place to almost encourage you to do the wrong kind of behavior, Ashley? Um, I guess like the light, like the, the alerts that you get, I guess kind of trigger your attention to then be shifted. Yeah. yeah, you'll get some sort of ping, you might get a sound, the phone might light up. Where do you keep your phone whilst you're driving? Um, it varies. Sometimes I try and keep it in my purse or it's just in, uh, I'm not going to press too hard. And by the way, I do this as well. You know, and many humans do it. And the reasons are, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, the circumstances that actively encourage us to take the at-risk behavior are are not swayed in our favor. Our phone is either in our purse, in our lap, on the seat next to us, maybe being charged right close to us within arm's reach. And we can see and hear the phone. So these are factors that we need to consider. There's almost active incursions to do the at-risk behavior. Now, they're kind of interesting. And again, don't forget, you'll have seen the films, you'll have had the training, you know the law says that we shouldn't do that, just like I do as well. I'm my guest tomorrow. Now, these are things that were in place that influence our behavior before we actually get on the platform, before we actually read the message on our phone. And in this model, we call these things antecedents or activators, little triggers that happen that encourage us to either do something or not do something. And we call these things antecedents, as I've said, or activators. Now, they're kind of interesting. They do have a huge effect on people's behavior. But the things the other side the things that we call consequences, don't forget this theory is called ABC, antecedents or activators, behavior, either doing something or choosing to not do something. And then the other side of the behavior, there are consequences. There are consequences to our actions. Now, most people actually think there are only two consequences. Actually, there there are four. There are four consequences that we're all aware of that, that, that we perceive might happen to us as a direct result of our behavior. This is, this is looking at our mobile phone still. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the two obvious consequences first, Ashley. Uh, we've already identified one, of course. If you look at your mobile phone whilst you're driving, what bad thing might happen to you? I mean, you can crash and you can yeah. have someone someone yeah. or worse, you know, kill yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah, you can get a fine, you can lose your license, you can lose your job. There are actually lots of really bad things that might happen to you when you take this behavior of looking at your mobile phone. What good things happen to you when you look at your mobile phone? Um, you could be getting something done by you know answering the message, whether it's from a customer or mm-hmm. a friend. So yeah. I guess you're accomplishing something, but... Yeah, and even if it's bad news, even if the message is bad news, actually that's still a good thing because we can react to that news far quicker than if we don't see it. So, so far there are two consequences as a direct result of your behavior. Something bad might happen and something good might happen. Which one of those things are more likely, Ashley, 
cause something good. Yeah. How often does something good happen when you look at your mobile phone? Uh, the probability go higher. <laughs> yeah, loads of times. And the same for me as well. I'll, I'll see the sports results or, you know, I'll get a message from my son or something. So, yeah, yeah, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of times that we do this at-risk behavior, and actually nothing bad happens at all. You know, something actually really good happens. So these are the two consequences that most people are familiar with. And... You, the bizarre thing is that bad thing that might happen to us, the key word here is it only might happen to us. Very rarely does that bad thing happen. You know, we don't get caught by the cops. We don't get the fine. We don't have an accident, all those horrible things that you mentioned earlier. So those are the first two consequences that most people understand. There's a third and a fourth consequence, though, that also influence people's behaviors. So... The third consequence is some sort of reward. Now, the, when we talk about a reward or an incentive, in my head, or usually, we talk about we, we're going to get some money for something that we're doing. You, you've completed this job, you complete it on time, we'll give you a little bit of a bonus or a reward. Now, this is very different to something good happening to us. If, uh, if you're giving me a lift to... Uh, where is it? Toronto, did you say? Or? I'm in Calgary. Calgary, sorry. If you'll give me a lift to Calgary Airport and I see you looking at your mobile phone whilst you're driving me to Calgary Airport, hopefully I'm going to say to you, look, Ashley, please don't do that. You know, that's not good for either of us. Or I might actually say to you, actually, thank you, Ashley, for looking at your mobile phone because you're checking the route, you're looking at the time, and perhaps you're, you're checking what time my, my flight is from Calgary Airport. So something good for happening to you for checking your mobile phone, I might praise you for checking the route or checking the time of or the terminal of, the, of Calgary Airport that we're going to. So praise, when we say thank you so much, I'm really proud of you, praise is actually very different to offering somebody a reward. A reward is usually monetary. I like what you're doing. Thank you so much. And there's a token of my appreciation. So now we've got three consequences. Punishment, something bad happening, or the threat of something bad happening. Praise, thank you so much. We're really proud of you. And then the third consequence is, yeah, yeah we appreciate what you've done. Here's some money or a reward or a prize for what you've done for us. And we call this third consequence a reward or an incentive. Rewards and incentives and praise are very, very different. Most people think they're the same, but they're actually, if we're talking about performance psychology, um, one's an intrinsic motivator that makes us feel proud and put our chest out and shoulders back. And the other one is an extrinsic motivator, which has all kinds of horrible, unwanted consequences on people's behavior. And we can talk about this another time or uh, in the link that I'm going to share with you afterwards. Um, you'll see lots of other examples in education or sport or crime even. where trying to get to people to do something by offering them a reward or an incentive to get the job done or a target to, to achieve. It can be effective. People drive towards that target, uh, but it usually leads to all kinds of unwanted behaviors. So that's three consequences so far. Now, the fourth consequence, people sometimes argue with me and they say, quite rightly, because uh, they believe this, they say, damn, that's not a consequence at all. The fourth consequence is, um, I don't know, who, who normally travels with you in your car, Ashley? Uh, my boyfriend or yeah, your a boyfriend. friend. Okay, yeah. So let's say your boyfriend sat next to you in the car. And you're driving him to work or you're driving him to the train or the airport. And whilst you're driving him to work, he might see you looking at your mobile phone. He sees you doing this at-risk behavior that's putting you at risk and him at risk as well. Now, he might say, Ashley, please don't do that. You know, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of you. Yeah, that's probably what he'd do. That's, that's, yeah, you, he, you know yeah. him well. Yeah. yeah, it could say thank you for checking the route. It might say, look, if you get me there on time, I'll give you an extra five pound for the, you know, or I'll take you out for dinner tonight if you get me there on time. It might try to praise you 
or reward you for actually doing this bad behavior. Or he might do something different, actually. He might see you doing this, and today he might just say nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. He sees you doing this un- unsafe behavior that's putting you and him at risk, and he doesn't punish you. He doesn't thank you or praise you. He doesn't offer you some sort of reward or incentive. He just turns a blind eye. Sorry, you drive on the other side in, in, in Canada, don't you? He just, he just turns a blind eye to your actions. He sees you do it, but he says nothing. And this fourth consequence is what we call in UK, I'm sure you have a similar term in Canada, we call it turning a blind eye, just walking by and saying nothing. And mm-hmm. do you understand what I mean by this, Ashley? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Now, if your boyfriend sees you doing this and he just says nothing, but you know he's seen you do it, and he just, whatever reason today, he's just turning a blind eye. What does that feel like to you? What does that tell you about him and your relationship? He either is not bold enough to say something and doesn't feel like the consequences are big enough, I guess, to affect him. Um, or he's hesitant. He doesn't want to maybe start a fight because he might yeah. think I, I, I perceive it differently. Yeah. Uh, there's many, I think there's many avenues that, that could go. Yeah. It might also tell you that he doesn't care about you that much. It might even also tell you that he does it himself. Yeah, the reason yeah. he's not challenging you for this behavior because it's something he actually does as well. And it's just normal behavior to him. So if you love this man, if you respect this man that's sat next to you, or it's a friend or somebody, somebody you have respect for and you like a lot, if they just take, turn a blind eye to your actions, then actually that can be a really powerful motivator for you to do it again. Because if you like your friend, if you like your boyfriend, which I guess you do, and you perceive that they do that same behavior, that's why they're not saying anything to you, then you're more likely to continue that behavior. So those are the four consequences. And we're covering a lot of ground here in quite a short space of time. We've got two-day courses on this stuff. uh, And we're discussing through it quite quickly here. And um, Can you see how people normally know the first two consequences, but the third and fourth consequence also has a really powerful motivator to our actions? Yes, absolutely. I I would – I mean, it all makes sense, but I would never – never be able to filter it to these four different categories you know we talk about values and beliefs Uh a lot of the time um our individual values our organizational values and beliefs and so i really believe strongly that these do have an impact on our decisions that we we make throughout our lives be it in the workplace or in our personal space at home Oh, I'm wondering how does this kind of integrate into one's decision about what is or is not safe or acceptable? Yeah, uh, yeah, great point. Because our values and beliefs, you're absolutely right, Tamara. They're the things, that's the big engine that really drives all of our behavior every, every moment of our lives and our decision making. So values and beliefs, they sit on the antecedent side. Yeah, the, it's not just the rules and the training and the weather um, and those other things that you know, the, the, the phone beeping off uh, or lighting up where we keep our phone, they're all antecedents, but also deep within our personality and our character um, or our values and beliefs. And those are the antecedents that will also determine whether we do something or we don't do something. And you know, with all the things that are going on in the world today, this week, you know, we what people are doing or not doing, whether they're saying something or not saying something, and you both know what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, those behaviors are driven from people's values and beliefs. And the three of us are from countries that probably have very similar value, values and beliefs on a lot of issues, but we'll also have very different values and beliefs on, on others. So values and beliefs do drive behavior tomorrow. You're absolutely right. And that's part of our upbringing, things we've learned and unlearned, and even part of our DNA. So, so yeah, that's where values and beliefs sit. And so how have you seen this um, 
in your your workplace in your experiences? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it really spans to. I mean, everyone, like you said, has a lot of values, uh, different values and beliefs, and they do correlate into their job. They bring that into their job, even though they need to be aligned to the company's safety mandate, they're still going to do kind of what they feel is best. So prime example, I was at a customer um, site this morning. Of course, they have the PPE, very strict, so we wore a face mask. We stayed our distance, but as I was doing the audit, um, for him, he needs to be cost-effective in his products. But for the employees, they really want that comfort. And so he's trying to obviously please the world, but he also needs to really follow the books. And he's like, I know I need to be safety conscious. So it really does add a lot of friction um, and challenges as people are obviously trying to do the right thing. But they're like, what is exactly the right thing? Especially when you dive into some um, new industries. Um, And this one is a very, uh, it's a booming industry. And so they're also doing a lot of trial and error. And of course, by doing that, I'm going in and they're like, well, this is just an easy product for us to use. I'm like, yeah, but your employee is being injured. And it's not like it's a major injury, but it's still, it's still an injury that we need to address. Um, and so it, it, it's, um, it's really hard to kind of, I guess, answer that question. But I do see that every single day as I'm interacting with customers. Um, and there's a lot of challenges to, you know, we all want to do the perfect thing, but what is that perfect thing when there's so much on your plate in terms of trying to follow the, the regulations from the corporate level, but then the people who are doing the work are, they're the, they're the, burden, they're the bones to the company and you want to ensure that they're comfortable in terms of the safety mandate that's been put in place. Um, so I don't you, know if that addresses your answer, yeah. but I do yeah. definitely see that in a large yeah. The perfect storm scenario and ABC analysis, Ashleen, can help us understand why some people wear their masks or their ear protection, their PPE, and some people don't. Because those four consequences that you and I have just discussed, they come into play all the time when you see those behaviors. So mm-hmm. you said that you know, if they don't wear their PPE, they're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Are they? Yeah, they are getting hurt, but they're also they're like, oh, I get I get a little bit injured, but I'm still doing the job. So it's a bit like looking at our mobile phone. Mm. They could get hurt, but what's more likely to happen for not wearing their mask and not wearing their ear protection? What good things are happening to them? Yeah, they're saving time. Mm. They're still doing their job. Yeah, it's easier to like do their job. They, yeah, they can see better. They're not messing their hair. They can communicate with their colleagues better. You know, we can get eye-to-eye contact. So those four consequences come into play again. You know, that bad thing only might happen. You know, they might lose their, their hearing. They might, something might go into their eye and they go blind. But it's not very likely to happen. What's more likely to happen is they can see better and their peripheral vision is better. Uh, they can hear better and have a better conversation. Uh, So the good things that are happening to people for not wearing their PPE are actually far more prominent and far more certain and soon than those bad things that we try to motivate people for. And of course, what's the fourth consequence again, Ashley? That was turning a blind eye. Yeah. Yeah. Is that going on? When people don't wear their PPE, yeah, of course. The safe people, yeah. Their colleagues their team leaders, the safety people sometimes may well see people not doing the right thing. And you know, just like your boyfriend, just like my wife, they might just ignore that behavior because they're too busy to get things done as well. And we can ABC mm-hmm. analyze their behavior there as well. So these four consequences, uh, just one final thing. They, the perfect storm exists is when, when they all wrap in together. And the way I normally finish the story as we introduce the first session of our course on behavioral safety leadership is you know, we, we go back to the phone scenario and we go back to taking us to the airport and you're driving me to Calgary, Calgary Airport and I see you look at your mobile phone, but I don't challenge you like your boyfriend would. I just choose to turn a blind eye. So I've not punished you or challenged you. I've just chose the fourth consequence at the moment, and I've just turned a blind eye to your actions. 
Now, why might I do that? Why might I just turn a blind eye to your actions to get me to Calgary Airport, to get me back home to Edinburgh? I mean, maybe you just don't want to offer any distractions and you just want to get to your endpoint, or, you know, maybe sometimes it depends on the relationship you have with the person. You might not want to be as open to suggesting your own opinions. There could be a lot of answers to this. <laughs> All those things. I don't want to upset you. Uh, I don't want to, uh, you know, we, you're doing me a favor by giving me a lift to the airport. And actually, don't forget, I really need to get to that airport to get back home. So actually, it's in my interest that you do get me there on time. So we talked so talk about those two consequences so far. I've not challenged you. I've just chosen to just do nothing and turn a blind eye. And we get there and you get me to the front of the queue, right to the terminal, where, right where I need to be. Now, what am I going to say to you now? Once you, Even though you've been looking at your mobile phone a couple of times while you're driving me, what am I going to say to you now? I think it's simple. Thank you. I think everything that you saw might be just disregarded. Yeah, I'll just say thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate you getting me here on time. Totally ignoring the fact that you've taken a few risks to get us there on time, including maybe skipping for a red light or something. I'm actually praising you for getting me there on time. And of course, I might just say to you, well, actually, next time you're in England, I'll come and pick you up from the airport. Or as a, as a token of my appreciation, you know, buy yourself a beer or something at the weekend for, for you and your boyfriend. I might also reward you or incentivize you for, the, for, for getting me to the airport on time. So this is what I call the perfect storm. People see unsafe behaviors going on. They don't punish it. They don't challenge it. They just turn a blind eye, mm -hmm. which is bad enough. But then, mm -hmm. even worse than that, they'll go and say to people, thank you so much, and then offer them some sort of reward. And then what so, we have in there, really, Darren, is it's not just one individual. No. It's a, a, like I'm thinking about a workplace scenario of in, in our grocery retail of uh, the deli workers cleaning ovens. And, and quite often, you know, there's a lot of PPE that goes with that, that um, task of cleaning the ovens because you're dealing with chemicals, et cetera. And so there is a face shield, there are gloves, there, there are covers and aprons and stuff. And for, for quite a while, it was quite a struggle getting the workers to wear it. And then when I kind of drilled down a little bit more I found there were several consequences going on about why they weren't wearing it. One, the, the biggest one was the, the PPE um, ensemble was a variety of different loud colors. And these were teenagers doing this and they just felt really stupid yeah. in a public space where possibly their friends and people they knew would come in and see them wearing this. Yeah. Right. So there is the, the impact of the decision makers on what are we going to have people wearing in order to protect themselves. Yeah. And so even in those type of situations, just kind of stepping back and looking at what are we asking people to do? So, yeah, that's a really good example because you're quite right. If the teenagers feel silly because they're too brightly colored, you know, that will make them feel bad. And that's a consequence. But the great thing about it is, you know, as safety professionals, as leaders or managers, we can actually go back to the antecedents now and we can change the type of PPE that we have. And we can develop some PPE that they'll really want to wear that might be the colors of their baseball team or their favorite band or something. Anything that we can do to actually change the mindset of the worker or the teenagers in this case to actually really want to wear the, 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 the glasses or the goggles. And that's where we can use more innovative or more powerful antecedents or activators to drive behavior rather than sort of using the consequences. Um, and so another place that I wanted to take this conversation because um, it, it's really concerning is how when we look at, um, you know, there are great leaders that, will protect their workers like your father did, where he took the role of the higher risk tasks and jobs and would actually say to other workers, oh no, this is too dangerous to be doing it. But yet they will go and they will put themselves 
into that greater risk. And so that was part of our discussion too, wasn't it, Ashlyn? Yeah, and I think now taking Darren's approach, because I know when we first brought that up, which I thought was a great um, a great learning point that you called out, because then we went back on my dad's values and beliefs. And as I had addressed, Darren, my dad was an immigrant from Ireland. He grew up on a farm. His My grandparents and his four brothers were very dependent on the work that they did on the farm. So they worked every single day for hours on end. And you talk to any of my uncles, it's like hard work always pays off. And they worked so hard, but they also needed to get the jobs done in order for them to obviously get food on the table. That like they were they they were very poor. And so I feel like a lot of that did stem into my dad's life. I mean, there was many reasons why he, he moved because obviously Ireland didn't have the opportunities and he hustled so hard and created this business. And I think like Darren, how, how do I take the learnings that you just addressed? I can't go back and ask my dad these questions. Is this something that we could even determine ourselves based on his actions that day to think, yes, as a leader, did he just use his own values and beliefs and made the decision? Cause maybe it's like he put that himself in that position before and it worked yeah, and he returned I, home yeah. to his family that day yeah, or what, or was he strict and maybe because I know he was an hour away from the job site, like my brother said, or did the client somehow say to him, you need to have this job done? Cause I, I, we, we don't know. We don't know all the conversations my dad had and what was running through his mind. So maybe that's, that's something I ask of you. No. Uh, and again, uh, this is the difficult bit in the conversation uh, to try and understand what goes through people's mind, including your father, uh, because people, people do things with a positive intention. You know, they do things because, uh, because of their values and beliefs that have been reinforced constantly over their life. And everything you've told us about your father, uh, putting food on the table, uh, getting the job done, uh, pleasing the client, everything you've told us there uh, are in, ingrained in his values and beliefs. And this is why he did what he did. This is why he put himself at risk. And he was aware there was probably a tiny risk of the tragic thing that happened. He probably was aware of that, that a bad thing might happen, but his behavior was driven by the other two consequences. Like you have identified already, he probably many times in his past, when he's done this before, the client has said, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate what you did here. We needed a job finishing today. And they may have even rewarded him and getting him some sort of, you're not only paying them to get the job done, but offering some sort of other incentive if he got it done quicker or on time even. And of course, that fourth consequence would have been in play that many times that other people will have seen your father do that, they may well have just turned a blind eye and thought, actually, you know, that, that's just him doing what he does. That's his values and beliefs. And again, the people around him that your father would have grown up with and worked with uh, who he would have respected and liked and worked with in, in those environments, when they turn a blind eye to him taking those kind of risks, that again reinforces the behavior that everybody else does that, just like the scenarios we talked about earlier. And this is the bit of the conversation that I've been thinking carefully about how to approach today because, you know, I can see these things are still raw and it's not, not easy for you to think about or for me to talk about. But this is why your father took the action the fact that he was the leader and the owner of the business with all the other extra responsibilities is an even more powerful driver for him to be seen to get the job done, even though he always, he always encouraged others to do it safely. Now, the, the tough bit now for me now, Ashley, if you, if you were working for your father, if you were part of his business, if you were part of his team, and you saw him leading from the front, you know, he might have, if I was working for him, he might have said to me, look, Darren, don't you do that. I'll finish this job. I don't want you to put yourself at risk. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to do this last hour on this job. And there are many leaders that I have, not many, there are a few leaders that I've worked for in the past that have, have taken decisions like that. And I have, the, I have the greatest respect for them for doing that because they, they look like they're caring for me and they're, 
They're taking a risk themselves and it's an honourable thing to do. The danger is though, Ashley, go on, sorry, you're going to say something there. The danger is... No, I, was I, I mean, yeah, the dangerous embodiment is in this position and yes, it is a great quality as a leader, but I think also with the liability, he just knows he can do the job yeah. either the best and, and complete it. Yeah. That could also have been something that ran through his mind. Yeah. And honestly, he, he was a very stubborn man. So he probably just thought, I can do it. I'll get it done. I won't put my employees in this position. The work needs to get done. Yeah. And what happens to people like you and I, that uh, you really love this man, really respect this leader that, that we've worked with, and we see him doing things like that. I want to be like him. You know, if I want to get on, if I want to run my own business like him, if I want to do well within his company, if I see people like him, a great leader, do that, then he thinks in his head he's, he's protecting us and he's not. He's, he, he doesn't want us to do that. But actually, within my own values and beliefs, because I like him, I respect him, I love him, I'm going to be more actively encouraged to go and be like him. Perhaps not when he's around because he won't let me. But when he's away somewhere else, I want to be like that to lead like him. And, and, and that's, what, that's where values and beliefs come from, believe it or not. You know, you, all those things that you described to us, coming from Ireland, working hard, you know, all those things that he would have seen his father do and leaders around him do, my guess is he'll have seen other people that he likes, he respects, he loves even, put themselves in danger like that and lead him from the front. And this is how values and beliefs are formed, by our consequences, the how the four consequences are lined up. And Tamara, stop me talking, ask another question, or Ashling, ask another question, because, it, well, that's why people do these things. And I think it really brings forward just how complicated um, things in life really are. You know, we can't look at things as a um, if this, then that, because there's so many other layers in play as we are guiding ourselves through our day and making choices. Yeah. I think for myself, I mean, I, I never thought, I mean, yes, you know, you learn from others. And I know I learned a lot from my, fa my father. I mean, I, I have a lot of his same traits. And I guess I, for him, I know he had to teach himself a lot. I mean, he, he lost a lot, but he gained a lot. And, and he really figured things out himself along the 39 years. And I never really thought maybe some of the habits that he had done himself, um, I mean, I should have known, obviously, yes, he had been from his father on the farm. Then how do we break that cycle? Because you think, you know, the amount of people that are dying on the job site on a daily basis, like three people today in Canada are not going home to their families. And is it a result? I mean, it's so hard to know, answer that question. But the more I think about it is, you know, the mandate that's on the job site. But is it, yes, go back to their values and belief and then having watched someone before. And it's a ripple effect because, yes, you see that person doing something that may be half-faced and they still got away with it. And then people just continue to do it because they're like, oh, it's half-faced and they got the job done. So then I can also do it if they were in that same situation. But then they're, eventually, I think that cycle is going to result in some type of workplace incident. And how do we end that? Yeah, and you, you, you've just described the, the, the perfect storm situation and the real question is how do we end that? And the easy question in, the, in, in a conversation like this of an hour or so is we need more people to have the courage to say, no, we don't want you to do that. And when people refuse to, um, to, to put themselves at risk, then we need to praise and, yeah, okay, reward sometimes. We need to be really careful where we reward. But basically, we need to keep praising people for doing the right thing rather than threatening people with the bad things that only might happen if they do the wrong thing. Now, Ashley, I don't know if this is something that you're doing now, but uh, certainly I know lots of people, not lots of people, but there are several people around Europe um, that have tragic stories like you've got here that happened to your father, father. And they go and tell their story. And their story is basically about, look, don't do this because something bad will happen to you. 
and they listen to you and they, they, they see your emotions and their feelings and they listen to you in the audience and they walk out and most people in their head, they say, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. But that doesn't last a long time because you've seen the videos. Go on, sorry, Gasoline. No, I, and I have, I have been sharing my story with the association and that's where I've kind of continued to support them and gone off on my own. And that's where I'm in the stage where I can share this sad story and people, I'm always saying, you know, check your measures in place because maybe could he have obviously maybe had a second opinion in terms of the anchor points he had put into the ground. I'm still trying to craft that message to see what are the takeaways. But again, you hear this tragic, and I, I, I've spoken even in front of kids and they've been sh like, they've shaken and they are so emotional for me. And you could tell the fear that they, they don't want it to happen to them. They don't want it to happen to their parents. But then again, I'm like, how long does that fear actually stay with them for them to actually start to take action? So that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, I can share the story all day, but yeah. it's like, that's why I think I'm more focused on trying to get to the younger generation. Cause it's like, anything is habit. And why are we not having these discussions? Like I look at my five-year-old nieces and you try and teach them manners. And it takes them a few years to, you know, start to take initiative to say, thank you, Auntie, rather than me saying like, thank you forgot to say a magic word there. Yeah. But when it comes to the safety uh, discussion, how do we get it ingrained to them um, so then they can start to really think of it other than, yes, crossing the roads and looking both ways, but having that um, education and insight when they enter the workforce, you need a theoretical piece, but you need the safety piece that goes along with it. And so that's why, like I mentioned before, I'm, I'm working with this uh, network and, and individuals like you that I'm just learning a vast amount to try and craft essentially that solution, which it's super difficult in the safety world, but I feel like there's got to be something that we can do um, to prevent these. It, there is. And, and, I, uh, and if I could just kind of, um, you know, build on this, I think one of the things that we need to really get out there and, and encourage more of is being positive, encouraging positive. So if we are seeing people taking the time, taking the care and valuing, um, doing things in a way that would protect themselves and others, be brave and say, oh my God, this is so great. I appreciate this. Because then people will feel, get that good reward from doing the proper thing. And I'm not seeing that enough. Like I remember there was an, an incident in a workplace where um, I, I was there and I heard a manager berating somebody for, spotting the ladder, telling the spotter that he's being lazy, he wasn't working, he wasn't doing anything. And so then I came around the corner and I like once they kind of broke the conversation and I saw them, I was like, oh, thank you so much for caring enough to be a spotter. A lot of people don't do that role and that's when an accident happens. And I could see the manager kind of look and shrink because he had just done the opposite, right? I didn't call the manager on what he had done on the spot, but I wanted to reinforce his health and safety that what the employee was doing was, in fact, what they had been asked to do. And then later, afterwards, away from the employees, I then addressed it with the manager and said, hey, you know, I kind of overheard your conversation there. And when you're telling an employee that they're lazy because they're being a solder on a ladder, you're actually countering what we're trying to teach them in order to be safe. And the manager hadn't even thought of it that way because he was so programmed to think about um, product productivity and making sure everybody was getting things done quickly because that's where his rewards and consequences lied on in that realm. And he felt so embarrassed that because safety was important to him, but he felt so embarrassed that in that moment, he hadn't, hadn't been the best manager to that employee. And so that's very interesting. Like I could have come in at it and just assumed that the manager was just not caring. But in fact, it was he had not self-identified that what he was doing was actually going against the beliefs and values. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, th I think that's a great point that Tamara made. Cause I think there's twofold. I know as a manager, there's a lot of pressure on them 
So that person may not just be, you know, a harsh human that was calling out that action. Like I know for me, I mean, I don't have all the certification in the world. Yes, I'm in the safety world. But for me, when I see someone on a roof and has no harness, I, I get so sick to my stomach. Like I start to shake because I think, oh my goodness, this person could fall and they could be exactly like my dad. And, and it leaves a ripple effect. I mean, this is now what my family and I deal with is, um, is the grief and obviously the pain that's, that's been as a result of losing him. And I call OHS anonymous, but even last week I saw three gentlemen on a roof open and there was no, there was no guardrail. And I walked over and I said, you all should be wearing a harness. And I said, and technically they could be fine with me calling ONS, uh, OHS and them going up. And so for me, I know, I think I've taken more of a, you know, not a negative, more of an aggressive approach because I'm just so, I'm, I'm so paralyzed and not, and not wanting them to be in that type of pain. But I think Tamara, you do address the good thing that a lot of people do follow the safety to, to a T and, and they make every bit of effort that we also need to acknowledge those people and call them out and, and highlight the positive. So, you uh, I'm glad you've noticed that. It, sometimes it's that simple that we need to get out there and rather than just tell people they're wrong for doing it the wrong way, uh, it's sometimes, well, always much more powerful to, to find people doing doing it the right way and then go and praise the majority, hopefully, that they're doing it the right way in the presence of everybody else around them. And I love your example of your niece, your five-year-old niece, because if she doesn't use good manners at the dinner table, uh, it's all right for the auntie to say, look, that's not good. You know, I'm not, you know, that, that's bad behavior. This is not what we expect in our family. I'm sure you've done that. And yeah, yeah. yeah. But what would be much more powerful, there's nothing necessarily wrong with reminding her of what the right thing to do is, but what what is much more powerful, especially from our auntie, her auntie, the one time that she does say thank you, or whatever you you say, you make a point of saying, even if it's at the end of the, the dinner or she leaves, thank you so much. I was really proud of you today. That's... Yeah, that was so lovely to hear you say thank you for or whatever behavior you want more of. Now, all it takes is just two or three times of Auntie Ashling praising her for good manners at the dinner table or whatever it is you want. And she'll remember that for the rest of her life. Her okay. values and beliefs will be so powerful. It'd be just something, a habit that she'll naturally do. And that would be far more powerful than you telling her that it's wrong for not saying it praise her for doing it rather than punishing her for not doing it. And it's exactly the same in safety, Ashley, just as tomorrow's identified. And it's interesting that you use praise as one of the, the consequences. Um, and not to get into too much, I mean, there's a lot that you do when you lose a loved one. And the biggest thing that I missed from him is my dad would always praise us. And that's where I was very fortunate. He was so vocal. And I knew he was, even though he was hard on his employees, I guess as he learned, because he was such a strict uh, leader, to also give back that um, positive comments and and reassurance. It's the reassurance that my dad gave that um, I, I sit on every single day, you know, and him saying how proud I am. And I guess for me, I just never thought too much in terms of I always look at it as a personal, um, you know, making, you know, even saying stuff like that's my boyfriend. I do, of course, do acknowledge it to my nieces as well. Um, but you're right. I, I'm now reflecting on that, that even every single day, like him just being, I'm so proud of you. And I, I literally, it's just ingrained in my head that it, it sets me every single day rather than reflecting on maybe some of the negative, you know, stuff that he had said. Um, he was very much on, on praising us. Um, and yeah, didn't really think much in terms of how that, that really does hold on to you. Yeah, it does. And it's much more powerful than giving a reward or an incentive. You know, oh, I'm yeah. sure sometimes your dad might have said, oh, I'll give you a, a better Christmas present or we'll go on a better holiday. And yeah, that, yeah. that's nice, but it's nothing like as powerful as getting told that we're proud. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, it's so it's called an in, intrinsic motivator rather than extrinsic. And in the course that I'll share with you, Ashling, uh, you know, there, there's a couple of videos with myself and Professor Sharman, Professor Andrew Sharman, that tomorrow knows. Uh, it's a whole online course, which is IOSH certificated, and we'll give you free access to that. And you'll see lots of other examples as well, including how to get more innovative antecedents or activators. But we've we've covered the, the, the main principles of the perfect storm here, and you, you seem to have picked up on, on these things really quickly. So, 
Yes. One other thing, no, the one other thing I want you to say is when you do do these talks uh, going all over the world, I guess, eventually, there's nothing wrong with shocking people and you know, sharing that sorrowful story. But I'm really pleased that you've noticed that they will walk out the room shot, but it will only, psychologically, this has been, been proven many times, it will only last a couple of hours. By the time they come back into work the next day, with all the other leaders and stuff going on around them, your message will not be in their conscious awareness and their values and beliefs will not be changed by just that, that, that shocking story. So I would ask you to find your own way by all means, tell them that the shocking story that's going to be powerful with all the emotions there. If you can, if you can get that wave, I'm sure you will be able to. But I would encourage you to try and find your own way of sharing a positive message of of the good things that can happen when we do take the time and we do do things properly uh, and uh, securely, uh, and to encourage people to stop praising the good actions rather than just thinking about the bad things that might happen if they go wrong. Uh, and again, I'm not explaining this too well here in this scenario. There are loads more examples on the online program that we'll share with you. So try to finish up on a positive message there, just like you would do with Anise as she walks out the door. Thank you so much for your good manners today. Thank you so yeah. much for working safely today. Now, I, 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 sorry, I know that we're, we're finished our time. Do you have a moment or two? Because I have of another course. question. Uh -huh. So yeah. this is getting me thinking about my conversation with Theo Heinemann and Sylvia. And we were actually talking about how when you're positive and you give positive reinforcements, it actually inside the body um, gives a stimulant that people enjoy. And so by doing this, there's a chemical reaction in the body. Do you know anything about this, Darren? Well, I'm not a neuroscientist, but uh, you know, from my practical experience and the, the experiences that we're all talking about, it, of course it does. It feels fantastic, but it must be authentic. It must be authentic and, and, and consistent. And it, it's much more powerful when it's delivered by somebody we like or we respect or we love. So yeah, you're absolutely right. The 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 the, the serotonin or the good hormones uh, flow through our body when we're praised for our performance from people that we like or respect or love. And is, so, is that what helps people. build trust in a relationship? Is that that connection, that chemical connection? I'm just trying to like we're having a lot of conversations about changing beliefs and values and building trust and making safe spaces. Yeah. And now I'm kind of clicking here in this conversation that I think there's actually a chemical connection with all of this stuff, because if we're being negative to people and I'm becoming fearful, then I want to get away from you. Right. Whereas if we're doing the opposite, that's driving me forward to you. Yeah. Yeah, really well identified. Trust is a different thing. Trust is, again, built up by authenticity, uh, integrity, consistency. Um, and trust is a big part of getting people to follow the things that you, you do. But uh, yeah, in short, being praised, it releases all the good hormones. We love it. And it, it, it does impact on values and beliefs. Praise is much more powerful than punishment. I'm not sure how long we'd have to finish this off, but the two main consequences are they work most powerfully when they're together. A little bit of a whip, a little bit of a punishment, telling people the bad things that could happen, followed by the, the praise of good behavior. And I'll be very careful here because we will need to finish conversation soon. If we think about how religion works, um, I, it doesn't matter about what my beliefs are, it's my, myself. Yeah, or even politics today, and even politics right back to 300 BC. Um, how leaders motivated people to want to follow them, either good leaders or the great things or, or awful leaders that did the horrible things. Those that gather a big following, they are very clever at using these two consequences. If you do it wrong, something bad might happen, 
but then we get people to do it the way we want them to do and then we we lavish praise on them thank you so much and this is this is how religion works to get such huge followings intrinsic motivators and we could talk about some political leaders uh, on both sides of the, the fence that we might admire or not admire they're masters at influencing behavior because they understand the power of those two consequences um, well that is all the time that we have for today um, but thank you both now did either of you have any last thoughts before we go I just wanted to thank you both. Um, I know, Darren, this is our first time connecting. I I learned so much in this short period. I know you are, are valued and, and you do all these speeches, um, I, I believe, across the world. So um, I can't thank you enough for for all of your insight today. And uh, it really opened the lens to, to many things that I can definitely address as I continue to move forward and, and sharing my story and, and preventing these workplace fatalities that really should never happen. Great. And from me tomorrow, thank you for the opportunity the invite. It was always something that I wanted to do this conversation, but I was a little bit nervous about with the, the, the recency of uh, uh, the tragic incident. So I just wanted to finish off with, Ashley, I have the greatest admiration and respect for what you're trying to do here or what you are doing. Uh, keep doing what you do and share your story to influence your behavior to get each generation to become better than the next and to just get better each day better than we are today than we were yesterday and then even better again tomorrow. And that's those incremental gains that can have to aggregate to, to such you know, performance excellence in safety. So I'll share the link with you. I'll send you an email tonight with a coupon code and take your time going through the course and keep in touch, Ashling, any anything you want to share with us, either Andrew and I be delighted to help you in your, in your mission. Yes, so. thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Darren. Great. Thank you both so much for coming today. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks Thank tomorrow. you, Tamara. Thanks Keep for putting it together. Have a great day. Have a great day. Stay safe, you too. Stay safe. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you're looking for the show notes, please navigate over to safeopedia.com. You can now find it under the podcast tab. And if you haven't done so yet, please navigate over to industryconnectsafety.com and join us by registering now for our October 2020 Safety Connect conference and expo. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a world-class event with speakers such as Andrew Sharman joining us. And if you're looking for more safety resources, join us at safepedia.com. We've got webinars, articles, Q&As that you can share out with your team and your network. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.